Uh, I'll say again, good morning, Steve. Uh, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I'm one of the elders on staff, and it's uh, fantastic to be able to bring to you God's Word this morning. And we've started off a new series. I mean, if you just turn your eyes to the screens in front of you, uh, you'll see that the series is called The Generosity of God and His People. Uh, so the, the title kind of gives it away. We're going to be focusing on what God has graciously and generously given to us and our response to that. But I understand that when a pastor stands up and starts to touch the things of money, uh, our natural tendency is to cross our arms, look at him and say, what are you going to say, bud? Um, and I understand that. I know when I've visited other churches, uh, when I've been off, I've gone on holiday and walked into a church I don't know, and the pastor starts to preach about money, I do the very same thing, and I sit back and I put my theological brain on and I go, okay, convince me. And uh, I'm weary. And that's okay. I think that's fine. Um, if that's your posture this morning, that's perfectly okay. We hope to convince you over the series otherwise. Uh, but we find ourselves in a place where churches have manipulated uh, people around money. This is a gospel called the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel that will go on and tell you that whatever your heart desires, if you just name it, claim it, and frame it, and have enough faith, you can have it. Um, and life will be prosperous. God never wants you to ever, ever lack in anything. So you just have it, name it, you can, um, you can have it. Uh, and unfortunately, what this has done is it's made us incredibly wary of when preachers get up and preach about it, which is, as I said, okay. Um, and I, I, I really don't like that gospel. I, I'd go as far as to say I hate it um, because it takes away the, the glory of Christ and makes the glory all about money and the things that we own. But I also really don't like it because it has made it incredibly difficult for us to speak about it. It's made it awkward because Scripture actually talks about money a lot, a heck of a lot. There's tons that it says on it. And one of the things that Scripture says about money is that it is one of the few indicators that tell us the state of our hearts. The way you view money, the way you handle it, the way you use it is a great indicator of the state of your soul and the state of your heart. And we see this in a number of places in the scripture. We see it in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. It says the following. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It is meaningless. And we want you to make sure that you have a life that is satisfactory in the right areas, one that is lasting. We want to make sure that you have a life of purpose, not one that is meaningless. Matthew 6 verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We want you to have an attitude towards what you have that lends you to serving God and not the money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, through this love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We want you to have your finances and use them in such a way that is good, not that leads to evil. One that draws you closer to God, not away from Him. One that leads you to having an, a joyful satisfaction and not one that leads to suffering and one of many pangs. Hebrews 13, and this will be the last one that I'll read in this little section. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. And so we, we want us to, during the series, become a people that have the right focus, the focus on the glory of God, a people that are satisfied fully, a people that have purpose, the people that uh, use our money the way that God wants us to use it. And if we are going to be mature people, mature Christians, it is important that we come and lay our money um, and lay our possessions in the way we view it at the foot of the cross. Not in the church's bank accounts but in at the foot of the cross and to make sure that we view it the way God has designed us and wants us uh, to view it. And so, in other words, the series is not so much about tithing. We will speak about that once in a five-part series about how we are to do that well and for the glory of Christ. But really, the series is more about your hearts and the state of it and growing to a place of maturity and living it out and running this race well for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so the vital place for us to start in this series is not how you ought to be more generous. The vital place for us to start is to stop and go, we have been recipients of the generosity of God. God has graciously, lavishly, generously poured out upon you. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Does that make sense? Good, I see some nuts. Um, and so the first thing and the first point of the two that we're going to focus on this morning is that all good things come from God. Every good thing in your life has come from the generous hand of God. We see this in a passage in James 1 verse 17, a famous passage. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Did you hear that? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of light, comes from God. And there are two things there that I want you to notice. They are the perfect gifts and they're the good gifts. And I think we are pretty good as Christians in this room this morning that are able to stop and notice the perfect gifts in our lives. These are the big uh, moments that we are able to look at and go, God was so great. Last night, a young adult couple in our group, uh, in our church, uh, Cody and Pietro got married. And I know, but at least from my experience, I know Cody's heart, as he would have seen Pietro walking down and I would have seen my wife walking down the aisle in those moments. We go, oh man, isn't God good? He's gifted me with this perfect gift and look at her, she's going to be mine. And that's the way we're able to look at it and go, oh God, you are amazing. I think of my son Malachi when he was born. He couldn't have been older than 10, 15 minutes and they put him under the lights to warm him up. And as he was there, his hand was holding my little pinky and he was looking at me and holding it. This moment of going, oh, isn't this the perfect gift? I had that with my first child, not so much with the second <laughs> Not because I don't love the second much, because I just know what kind of pain was coming my way. And so, I, man, just, oh, God, aren't you good? And it doesn't have to be such extravagant moments like that. There can be other moments as well of pain that last or bond installments, and suddenly it's done and the house is yours. It could be a moment of a financial difficulty, and out of nowhere, God generously provides through someone, and you're just like, oh, Lord, thank you. Or, or it could be that you were really, really struggling with health, and, and after many, many years, you have been declared with a full bill of health. These are moments that are good, that are perfect, that ones that stand out to us, and ones that we should shout from the rooftops, rightfully so, and tell others how God has been generous to us. But I think we're good at noticing those, but I don't think we're particularly good when it comes to noting, noticing maybe the smaller things, the good things. 
There are good things in our lives that I think fly under the radar, that for various reasons which we will get to now, I think we overlook, we miss out on. And as a result, we don't necessarily see how God has lavishly been generous upon you. And so I think there are three reasons why we, for whatever reason, um, well, I'm going to give them to you, overlook the goodness of what God has done. And I think the first one is, and one that is common to us, is that we are over-familiar. It's over-familiarization. We have the tendency to see something good in our lives, and as time passes and, and as things go on, we start to look at those good things, and they start to fade in their goodness. Not that there aren't any good anymore, they just don't have that same appeal. And I think this is natural to us. Uh, for those of you who are young in this room, it might be when you get a new cell phone. You get it, you're infatuated with it, you look at all the new uh, apps and the different features that it has, you spend hours playing on it, downloading everything, it consumes you, you really are pouring your time into it, but as time passes, as you drop that phone a number of times and get a few scratches, as new models come out, your phone loses its appeal. Maybe it's a, a camera. You get a camera and you're taking photos of the family and around the garden and every trip you go on to you and you upload it on social media. But as time passes, you start to say, has anyone seen where the camera is? Does anyone know where the charger for that camera is? I just don't know. It just the infatuation has been lost. Or a new pair of shoes. I'm really giving you insight into Joe here. As a new pair of shoes comes out, I undo my shoelaces before I take them off. And then after a period of time, they've been worn in. I walk into the house and I soma, just kick them off. Soma is a great South African word. I just kick them off. Don't even take them on. I take to undo the shoelaces. Why? It loses its, its infatuation. I've become incredi incredibly familiar. And I think in similar ways, when the things of God in our lives, He's lavished upon us good things, but as time passes and as they become a normative part of our life, they lose their appeal. And we are needing as a church to look at these things afresh and anew. These could be things such as relationships that God has given you. He's given you some wonderful friends that have been a big part of your life. But as time passes, they've just become so normal that they don't necessarily see them as a good gift. It could be moments with your children. It could be things of your career, your, the job that you rest desperately wanted. And now you've got it years into it. It's, oh, it's actually quite a lot of work. It could be the city we live in, East London. We live in a beautiful city. And after years and years of being in East London, it starts to lose its appeal and it becomes boring. The views are so beautiful. Suddenly, don't have that same beauty. Don't captivate you as much. I, this week, have been sick for quite a while. Don't worry, I went for a COVID test. I don't have COVID. I, I headed off to Nahoon Beach uh, during my normal training slots in the mornings before work. And as I was sitting down, I was just seeing the beauty of noon. Hadn't seen it in years. Hadn't been down there in years. And just going, wow, man, it's beautiful. But time passes and we start to lose and get bored of the things that we have. That's the first reason. The second one is, I think, and this is quite a, it's got, a, it's got strong connotations connected to it, this word. But I think we, we miss out on the good things of God because we have a sense of entitlement. There are th certain things that we have that have been given to us generously by God and because of an issue of, I think I deserve it, that we don't necessarily notice it. We don't necessarily realize that God has given it to us. 
Uh, there's a book I've been reading by St. Augustine of Hippo. It's called Confessions of a Sinner. I'd really encourage you to read it. Easy read. It's only about 80 pages long, and the book's about this big. So <laughs> you easily be able to flip through it. And uh, in this book, Augustine, taking stock of the good, generous God that he has, starts to realize that there are minute things in his life that he had taken for granted, that he expected that he deserved, and started to realize that God had generously given that to him. And one of the things that he notices and realizes is that God has given him, even when he was an infant, the breast milk in his mother's breasts, that she could feed him. Listen to it. Just listen to this paragraph, and you just see how Augustine is blown away by it. It's quite incredible. He says, But neither the, my mother nor the nurses filled their breasts. You who use them, as your law prescribes, to give, my, to give me infant's food and to share of the riches which you distributed even among the very humblest of all things, or created things. For it was to their own good that um, what was good for me should come to me from them. Here it is. Though, of course, it, it did not come to me from them, but through them, from you, because of you, my God, or um, uh, my, God are, uh, my God are the source of all good and everywhere you preserve me. That even in his saying, even the fact that my mother was able to feed me when I was young and, and I, I needed to be looked after, but she had milk, even though that she had that, oh Lord, that is your generosity to me. You have been generous in giving that to me. And oh man, when we come around food, there's an entitlement to it, isn't it? Those of you who have kids in the room know that. Mom, you have to do it. You, it's your, you, you made me, it's your job. And I, and I think we miss out when we have attitudes like that on the things that God has been generous to me. And, and that is quite, an, uh, an, we are entitled to food. It's right. Scripture says it. We are to feed our family. Scripture says if you don't feed your family, if you don't take care of them, you're worse off than a sinner in 1 Timothy 5. Man, that's not a, that, while that is a biblical principle, it's not unique to the Christian worldview. The, the Western society holds a similar thing that aren't Christian. If you don't feed your children, they will come and take them away from you, and rightfully so. But yet, when we have this expectation that I ought to be fed, then we lose the sight that actually God has been generous in giving me food. That even in that moment when I was young, that she would have milk to feed me. How generous has God been? Maybe you think I've gone a bit too far this morning. That's a bit extreme, Joe. But did you choose your parents? Did you? Of course not. But how gracious were you that you got the parents that you did? In our country alone this year, in South Africa, and this is pre-COVID, 7,500 children under the age of five will die directly because of hunger. How gracious is God that that was not you? That you were given food. Oh, we've got to make sure that we open our eyes, take off those lenses that have binded us to the gracious hand of God and notice that he has been gracious to you in so many different ways. So many. Lastly, I think the, one of the reasons why we miss out on the goodness of God is because we give ourselves way too much credit. We, we look at all the good things around us that are happening to us and go, man, haven't I done well? Isn't that because of what I have done? 
And in doing so, we downplay the gracious hand of God. There's a wonderful scripture that helps us to put this into perspective. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, it says, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for a God will apply and supply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, the, let me explain what that all means is if you have a lovely uh, loaf of bread that you've just freshly baked and you're taking a slice and you're eating it, and I come to you and say, man, where did you get it? And you say, Joe, well, I planted some wheat. I grew some wheat. I cut it down. I did all this stuff. I don't bake, so I feel a bit vulnerable here. But uh, we, we do, your, do your thing, and then all of a sudden, I've got this lovely loaf of bread. Man, I really worked hard for it. And I go, but yeah, where did you get the seed from? Did you make the seed? No, we were given it. And, and, and then there, there are, there's a realization that everything that I have has been given to me by God. I could not have gotten to the place that I am if it wasn't for the generous hand of God. Some of you are phenomenal businessmen, praise God for it. You, you're great at what you do. And I ask you, Joe, um, I ask you, so how did you do it? And you say, well, Joe, I, I, I studied, I went to varsity, I worked hard, and I got it. And I ask, Joe, didn't others do that as well? Haven't others studied with you, and didn't they get better marks than you did? Don't others work just as hard as you do, but less successful? Man, there are those of you in the room that didn't even go to matric, and yet you are successful at business. You can still snow to the Eskimos. Why? Because God has been generous to you. Let's take the, the issue of art. Oh, man, you've got some of you can paint and, and draw and do amazing things. I say, how do you do it? Well, man, I worked hard. I was able to put it into practice. I went to lessons. I figured out how to mix colors and do all that kind of jazz. And that's how I do it, Joe. And I said, but you can send me to 100,000 lessons for the rest of my life. And I promise you, at the end of it, I would make a painting that looked like I had a fit when painted it. Abstract arts. That's what I'd call it. My son Malachi has this real desire for music. He's three years old. He brought his guitar today, he didn't play it, but normally he sits there and he jams as, as the worship team plays along. So interested, learning the songs, trying to play three. Don't know where he gets from. I'm not musically talented at all. My wife neither. I've heard her sing. This one's online, hey? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man, okay. Sorry, love. Um, but, but he just has this fatuation for music. He does. And he, well, a couple of months ago, he was jamming with his guitar up in front, and Byron was leading worship, jam, going away, and he's decided it's time to pray, led by the Spirit to do so. And about 15 seconds into the prayer, my son's had enough of this praying, and he says, Sing! Because that's what I'm here for! <laughs> Where did he get it from? Where has he been given it? He's been given to it by God's. Is there any good in you? Any characteristic? Are you determined? Are you patient? Do you persevere? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Is there a talent in you that you have that has helped you in life? It is because God has generously given it to you. There are characteristics in you that I wish I had. I have to work on, sure. But you have been given to it God has given it to you. His generous hand is there. Can you see it? God has been generous to you, church, in multiple, multiple, multiple ways. So what do we do in light of this? Firstly, we praise him. We thank him for it. We, we, we go out and we thank him so much that he has lavished upon us these good and perfect gifts. And I think particularly of the, the perfect gifts in moments that we are to shout it from the rooftops. 
tell as many people that can hear it. And particularly of those of you who are parents in this room, it is important for us to make sure that we tell our children of all the good and perfect things that God has given us in our lives. And the reason for that is because as you tell them how God has sustained you, how God has been good to you, how God has rescued you, that as you do that, you will place pockets of little faith in their hearts so that when they get older and when they go through similar things and similar trials, that they will know God saw them through and they will see me through. So many times in my life, that I went through similar struggles that my parents went through. Hadn't yet learned that God was my provider. Was told it, but I heard the stories and the testimonies of my parents. That when I came to that situation myself, I went, ah, but I remember how God came through my grandfather that way. He came through for my mom this way. And I clung to those myself and was able to trust him because they pocketed and put in faith in my heart because of their testimony of how good what God was. We, we need to make sure that we encourage each other, not only in our families, but in this building. God has been good. Here it is. It's just let us stir up faith for one another. Also, I think what happens is we become content. We become a people who are content with what we have. When we start to realize that everything that I have is from the hand of God, and not because necessarily that I have earned it or because I had, to, had to, to do it myself, but God has been generous in that. That when I, whatever I have, if it's much or little, that I can be content. Because God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty has determined that what I have is right for me now. And in his goodness, he has decided that this is how much you can handle yeah, there are times when I look at others in, in my sin, and I go, oh, Lord, wouldn't that be great? But then I realize that there's no ways my maturity could handle it. And God graciously has withheld things from me. I can be content because God is good, and he is generous, and he has given me a lot. Lastly, and I don't want to speak about, uh, too much about this little uh, application of this first point because we're going to talk about it in in the sermon coming. But what we realize is that if everything I've been given to, everything I have has been given to me by God, then I am a a steward of it, not an owner. I don't own it, but rather I have been asked to steward it well. We as parents get this. Go home today and buy yourself, your, your little one, a PlayStation with the latest game. Set it up on TV. Let them start playing, go make yourself a sandwich and a cup of coffee, finish it off. Let them just get into the game just enough. And as they've just gotten into the game, tell them, scoot over, it's my turn. <laughs> Listen, but it's my TV, my electricity, my house, I bought it with my money. We just realized that. I don't want to speak about that too much, but that's the stewardship behind it. So God has been incredibly generous to us. But the greatest, and this is our second point this, this morning, the greatest expression and demonstration of God's generosity is not in the giving of things, but in the giving of himself. That God would give us himself, not in part, not just a little bit, but in fully he would give us the entirety of himself. That through Christ, we can access all of God. That we can enjoy him and know him. And that he has given, us, given himself to us. We see this expressed wonderfully throughout scripture. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. 
Galatians 1 verse 4 says, talking about Jesus, yeah? Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God um, and Father. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Titus 2 verse 14, Jesus, again talking about Jesus here, who gave himself, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This, this, these verses express over and over again that God has given himself to us so that we might have our sins removed, that we might have the thing that hinders us from knowing him taken away so that we might become children of God, that we might become a people who can know him, that the punishment of sin and death has been removed because it has been placed on Christ, and that we can enjoy him. You see, the greatest part about what Christ has done is not to save us from hell and take us to heaven, but rather the greatest thing that he has given us is that we might know him and enjoy him. That's it. And that might for you this morning seem rather anticlimactical. That might seem a bit, oh, I was hoping for a mansion or a life of ease or never sickness, never having to struggle with that, or long life or constant happiness. But my friends, I want you to t tell you that the, the difference between what God has given us in him and of himself and that the good gift is vast. Having God far outweighs having things. And then why is that the case? What's the difference there? Well, having the things lack. Having the, the material loses its appeal. We know this. We, if we all had to just think about it, we know that things lose its appeal. Things get boring. Things lose uh, its desi we, our desires for it. Man, things get old and they break. We know that. Man, half the stuff that you have bought throughout your life are currently sitting in a landfill somewhere being burnt up. We have to continuously replace and get more because things don't last. They are finite. They, do, they are temporal. And they cannot satisfy us. Oh, they give us joys for moments, but they are fleeting. They do not last. But God in himself is infinite. He lasts permanently. He, he is the God that we can never reach the end of. He is an endless well that we are able to go to and drink from. And so we are to drink from him and enjoy him and be fully satisfied always. There's a show out on Netflix, as I said at the 8, I don't know if I should be punting it or not, but it's, it's called The Good Place. It's a, it's a comedy, it's a bit ridiculous to say the least. Um, not Christian, but it talks about afterlife, the good place and the bad place and a whole bunch of stuff. I, I won't go into too much detail. But The Good Place has this premise about eternity, about what the good place should look like. And uh, one, God isn't there, they don't believe in God, so that just gives you an indicator of where this show is going. But the good place has a premise of that, the, that in the good place, everything is perfect. And if everything's perfect, that after a period of time, things will get boring. That if everything is just perfect, and you had everything you ever wanted, after thousands and thousands of years, life will get boring. And there's some truth to that. But the Christian perspective of heaven is not that only it will be perfect, but there is a key component in it, and that is God will be there. 
that we will have God. You see, the beauty of heaven, church, is not that one day we will be able to get there and live in perfection. Surely that is part of it. But what really gives us joy is God himself, not the perfect creation. The perfect creation does not sustain us and is not the source of our joy. It's the God who made that perfect creation. Does that make sense? He is the one that we will drink of. That's why eternity will never get boring for us in our Christian perspective. Our Christian understanding and a biblical understanding is that we will be with God and he will always be with us. If heaven was just a perfect place that he would leave, it would not be great. There would be times when we would get bored and it would not be joyful because those things do not sustain us. God himself sustains us. God himself is the source of our joy. And so we need to realize that he is the one that we desperately need in this life. He is the one that gives us the ultimate joy that you and I long for. Do you want life? Do you want it? It's not in having much. It's in knowing God. And you know that. Because you have tried a lot. You have experienced a lot. But yet you need more. Because we are going to things that are finite, not to the thing that is infinite. To him that is infinite. To him is the wellspring that will never end. We can come and taste of him. Jesus says so to the good Samaritan at the well. He says these wonderful words. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the actual water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst, be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a wellspring of water welling up to eternal life. There is a lasting satisfaction that is found in him. And I want to even go further than that. That what God does for us is that he does not only say, come to me only to find joy, but in his goodness and in his grace. I'm battling to find the word, but I think he redeems the very things that he has given us, the good things, those perfect gifts. So let me explain that if you go for a long run today, maybe some of you haven't run in a while, but you go for a long run, you head out, okay, today's pretty cool, but say it was a hot day, and you go out, and you jog in, and as you come back, you, it's been a great run, you're nice and hot, the endorphins are kicking in, and you sit down to have a glass of cold Coke. I don't know if you've ever had a glass of cold Coke on a hot day after exercise. It is heavenly. But as you drink of it, and as you enjoy this, this wonderful liquid, What happens is you don't stop and just enjoy the liquid, but you enjoy the God who's graciously given you that liquid. There's only so much Coke that you can drink. There's only so many times that you can sip of it until you you start to get bloated and and things get uncomfortable and it's too sweet. But as as you enjoy this Coke, it flows up into worship of the God who's given you the Coke. So yes, when the Coke and the glass is finished, the joy continues on lasting because you haven't enjoyed in the temporal, you've enjoyed in the the infinite. Does that make sense? Am I making sense this morning? Because that's so important that we are able to enjoy things, but it leads to the lasting joy, not the thing itself. The same can be with your children as they're out playing and there's laughter and they do something cute and they say something witty and you're just so proud of them and you're just loving them and that moment comes. Those of your parents will just know that moment is there. But it goes past just enjoying your children. It goes past to the God who has graciously given you them. 
you just go, oh, thank you, Lord, for this moment. Thank you for them. Oh, and there's this joy that moves past the ceiling of just enjoying things, people, careers. It moves past that up into the infinite God as you start to enjoy Him. And that is a lasting joy. God not only says, come and taste of me, but He makes life so much more enjoyable in the other things that He has given us. You see, this is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian, is the non-Christian can have the world at his fingertips, head to the greatest restaurants, taste of the finest cuisines, but as they leave and head out, I've eaten at the three-star Michelin restaurants. There's a, the food is done, the experience is over, and the next day there needs to be more. There has to be something else. Now, we in East London as Christians can go to some local cafe that's pretty bang average, and we can just enjoy the meal and eat it. But as we leave, we're not delighting in the meal itself. We're delighting in the God who gave us that meal. And that's as the meal disappears and as we need to eat at the next meal, the lasting satisfaction is not in the meal now that we need more of, but in God. And that continues and goes and we enjoy Him. Can you see why the gift of God is far greater than the gifts? Because those are short. If it was just that we could have nice meals all the time, we would constantly need more. But God has graciously given us himself where we can enjoy and be satisfied always. That is where life is found. So how do we deal with this? What do we do? Well, well firstly, this is the foundation of our generosity. To understand that we have been given these things, we have not earned them. God has given us the fullness of joy. He has given us all the things that we have because He is generous. And this helps us to freely give ourselves because we have been freely given. It might have cost God a lot, but for us, it's cost nothing. But what it does is, one, it helps us to redefine ourselves. It helps us to redefine ourselves. We are not defined by the size of the car we drive or how big its tires are. We are not defined by the handbag that you wear. You're not defined by this kind of shoes that you have on your feet. You're not defined by the position that you hold at work. You're not defined by the amount of friends and how popular you are. But what are you defined by is that you are in Christ. You are a child of God. You are a new creation. You are an ambassador for Jesus. And man, that shapes the way we view things. That shapes the way we go after things. Because my position and my value is not found in what I have, but who I am in Jesus. And that is far greater. That shapes the way and how we hold on to our earthly things. But secondly, we also realize that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We live here on earth. We are uh, in the world, but we are not of it. It's a Christian thing. We see Jesus says this in John 17, verse 16. He says, they are, not of the world. they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And if Philippians explains this a little further in Philippians 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We are of heaven. We live in light of heaven. We are here to expand the kingdom of God and not our own kingdoms. We become meek. It's not about us. It's about God's kingdoms. We've been praying this morning. It's we live in light of how can I extend the kingdom of God, not how can I make Joe's kingdom better. It shapes the way we view our possessions and the way we live with them. And lastly, it helps us to realize 
that we have a generous, generous Father that gives us a sense of peace in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Romans 8 verses 32 says this. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also uh, with him graciously give us all things? It's the, less, uh, the greater to lesser principle. If, if God has given us his son, then surely he will give us all things. And what that means, and I, some have misused that to try and mean that you can therefore ask for whatever you want as a surety. You just have to have enough faith. But what that really means is not a prosperous life. It can't mean that. We just read the verses below that to talk about how we are, uh, go, will go through tribulation and distress and persecution and famine. It tells us that later on in the, uh, a few verses down the line. But what it does mean is that regardless of what situation you find yourself in, God will give you all you need to fulfill the work that he has called you to. That he has called you to expand his kingdom. He has called you to go and make his name known. He has a purpose for your life. And he will give you all that you need in order to do so. You will never lack. And so if he's called you to do something, he will make sure that he's provided you to give that. Again, that does not mean that you can get what you want at any point, but you will know that I have enough in my hands and God will give me enough in my hands to accomplish his work. And this is all because we have a generous, generous God. He's given us Christ, he's given us himself, and he's given us all good things. I'm going to ask uh, Matt to come up and lead us in a response time uh, to the rest of the sermon. Why don't you close your eyes? One of the things that uh, I felt the Lord just lay on my heart, and I think might be on yours too in the sermon, has been the streak in us where we feel it's okay to expect everything from God because it doesn't cost him anything. He can create anything from nothing. And so I can expect, I can be entitled to have things from his hand because he's God. It doesn't, he doesn't run out. He doesn't run dry. Uh, why can't he give me what I, I want? And I just felt the Lord challenge that this morning in me and in us as a church. just want to remind you that... Um, God the Father only had one son. He didn't have seven lined up. He only had one. In that sense, he was limited. He gave us his most precious possession in Jesus. And he gave it willingly and it cost him. It was extravagant generosity. It cost him his son. And so, Lord, as we journey through these next five weeks we're praying that we would catch that heart of the Father for us that Lord we would recognize that this is something you model and that we enjoy in abundance not just because you're infinite Lord but because you're generous and your son has been given to us and I pray as we go through these next couple of weeks we'd have a right response in our hearts to this incredible generosity of who you are to us thank you Lord but then also today, if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that means if you really had to be pushed 
as to what your hope of eternal life is. It's anything other than Jesus. It's because I'm good or because of this or that. No, no, today you need to respond to the Father's incredible kindness to you in giving you Jesus and offering him out to you today. And he comes as a gift. You have to lay down your pride. He's asking for leadership and total um, uh, handing over of your life to him. But what you'll find is you can't outgive God. And this morning, salvation is not a loss for you in bending the knee. It's a gain. And will you do that today? Will you enter into the generosity of a God who's already kept you alive, but is calling you into the purpose of following Jesus? That's where you start. So Lord, we bless you for this word this morning. We're thankful for the abundance of your hand upon our lives. As we worship now, Lord, I pray would be a right response of what it means to enjoy life and eternal life through Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one more song to the Lord before we go. And um, let these words minister to your heart. Thanks, John. Lord, I come before your throne of grace. I find rest in your presence, fullness of joy. Worship and wonder, I behold your face, singing, What a faithful God have I! What a faithful God have I! What a faithful God! What a faithful God have I faithful in every day Lord of mercy you have heard my cry through the storm you're the beacon my song in the shelter of your wings hear my heart's reply singing what a faithful God have I what a faithful God have I what a faithful God what a faithful God Granting peace from heaven, let me comfort those who suffer with the comfort you have given. I will tell of your great love for as long as I live, singing, What a faithful God have I! What a faithful God have I!
Lord, a faithful God, so gracious, Lord God. What a faithful God have I, faithful in every way. Lord, it's wonderful to rest in your faithfulness, Lord. We're thankful for your faithfulness to prayer. Thank you for speaking it to us this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness and the clothes on our back and the coffee we're going to go and enjoy now and the friendships and the fellowship we get to have. We thank the Lord for your faithfulness and keeping us alive to serve you. And we thank for the faithfulness that's going to wait, uh, wait for us in this week ahead. So bless us, Lord. Thank you for this time together. We're so grateful. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.